It's time to get it, and you know how we get it. Americano! The podcast about all things business and personal growth with your host, Eric Vonheim. Today, I would like to welcome Waleed to the show. Waleed, how you doing, sir? Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I have been trying to get you on the show for quite some time. You are a very busy man, from what I can tell. I mean, you can spot me at the gym every day, you know? It's good to see you outside there, but... Fitness first, right? Yeah. I'd imagine as uh, as we get into learning more about you as an entrepreneur that the fitness probably plays a huge role in your life and, and sort of feeding you that energy you need just to run your business, right? Exactly. Before we take it there, though, for our listeners, maybe we can dive into who is Wally, maybe a little bit of background about yourself before we kind of move into the business side of things. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in uh, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Um, it's a small town, pretty very booming right now. A okay. lot of changes happening there. But uh, back when I grew up, it was uh, mostly desert, very little entertainment. Um, okay. It had like its own pockets of, you know, group of people that you associate with yourself with. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was it was a good um, upbringing over there. You know, mm-hmm. we were like middle, upper class. So, um, you know, we had a little bit of advantage of everyone over there because we, we traveled all around the world and all that stuff. So you have private drivers is what I'm hearing. You had a fleet of Rolls Royce, private drivers? Not to that extent, no. No, Maybe one or two drivers and that's it. I've always, uh, you know, I love to travel and and some of the specific things about Saudi Arabia always see is like these amazing cars, right? Just fleets of beautiful cars and I'm a big fan of Range Rovers and I always see just these amazing classics out there. Yeah, that's probably like just the 1% of the population (laughs) that's always in your feed. Yes, yes. So what was it like growing up in uh, Saudi Arabia as a a young man? It wasn't that much of a difference, to be honest. We went to um, British International School. So, um, you know, we had uh, American teachers, British, Irish. So uh, that's why I have such a strange accent. Like people don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, Um, you throw people off. Exactly, yeah. Some people think I'm from Wyoming or something like really? that. Really? <laughs> yeah, but then, you know, uh, there's some few words that you can pick up that doesn't uh, doesn't sound too American, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we grew up watching the same shows as everyone else did. Okay. Uh, we had internet, so that opened up a lot of access. But uh, I, I didn't see much of a difference coming in here. Just maybe more... There's more activities involved here if you really want to grow. Like, there's... Um, one thing that, that I really liked back uh, where I came from was was just finding the right group of people okay. uh, to mix with. You know, everyone was just uh, everyone was just very too general. They didn't yeah. have like specific niches that they were trying to really be good at. They just wanted to be good at almost everything. Okay. Um, and this was when you were young. Yeah. So just exactly. trying to find peers that have similar interests. Exactly. Exactly. And then until I came here, that's where I found like people who are extremely dedicated to just one thing. Yeah. And that's all they wanted to do for their entire life. And I think that's that's also because just the way our culture was brought up, you know, for us, we it's it's generally, you know, not acceptable to kind of just go out there and be an artist. Okay. You know, but yeah. now it's slowly opening up. Like creativity wasn't such a big push in school or something your parents would promote. Yeah. So um, it, it didn't allow us. Like it was very typical for someone just to get into engineering or business or being a doctor, and and, and that was it. Like you you made it in life. But as you can tell, like most people, most people in that field right now have are going through a lot of mental health issues just yep. because they're just trying to figure themselves out. Yeah. Um. So when you move over here, in my opinion, to the U.S., especially to L.A. when I first landed, that's when I felt like it was completely free in terms of 
being able to do exactly what you're doing and make a living out of it. Right. And I think this is very one of the few places you can actually do this. Do that in the world, right? Yeah, it's interesting you bring this up. I just had a guest on the show not too long ago. We were right in the middle of this conversation where, you know, the parents, with the best intentions in mind, of course, you know, they wanted uh, her to pursue some, you know, engineering, doctor, lawyer type field, right? Uh, But yet, you know, deep down, uh, she had a passion for something else, right? And there was some interesting conversations with the parents as a result. So you experience that a bit, you know, just in seeing the differences between the environments. How young uh, were you when you uh, left Saudi Arabia and came to the States? I was 18. You're 18. Oh, and yeah. that, that's just like prime time, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you land in L.A.? That was your first place? L.A., yeah, Santa Monica. I, I, oh. I lived there for like 10 years. Uh, went to USC, business, undergrad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I kind of lived... Uh, LA lifestyle. Did you like say. it? How, what'd you think about LA compared to Saudi Arabia? I mean, that must've been, was it 180 or was it still fairly similar minus some of the things that you can get plugged into? I mean, was it, what were the similarities or, or major differences? Uh, I mean, it really comes down to how social you are. I mean, you can literally live in LA and live in a bubble and not know anything that's going around you. And I know friends who've, who've done that and they kind of just like left back home and said, this isn't the place for me. Really? Um, but then like if you're really out there and hustle and, and actually try to meet people and connect and network, uh, it, it could be a life changer for a lot of people. And I think people are just used to things being handed down to them. Yeah. If you're not really willing to put in the efforts and the hours while you're here, it's going to be very difficult for you to make it. Yeah, I suppose that's with anything in life, right? If you're not taking advantage of some of those resources, then you're going to have a different experience than somebody else. Exactly. So you you arrive in L.A., you're 18, you start your undergrad program. Um, Is it fair to say you initially came out here for for school to to finish college? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, at that time, what did you think you were going to do with your degree? Was it really on this uh, engineering track or or was this around the time that you were thinking, hey, I'm going to the States, California, maybe I can unleash this creative genius inside of me, which we'll get to with your business. Where were you at in in that time period? I think I uh, wanted to do a more traditional route like banking, IB, investment banking, that type of stuff. I did the uh, exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 80 (laughs) hours a week. 80 hours a week. So, um, so yeah, I thought, uh, I thought I was going to be more of a finance heavy. um, And I did all the courses, everything and and internship and all that stuff. But it it just wasn't for me at the end of the day. Yeah. I just uh, didn't feel like I was creating anything that was beneficial. Okay. And honestly, like, uh, I actually wanted to get into fashion school. Like, I applied originally to fashion instead of technology. I was really interested in, in fashion overall and, and that aspect of it. Uh, but I never got in. So that kind of Banking crushed Banking fashion. Yeah. Those are two different worlds. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, like, it was more, it's called fashion instead of technology. Okay. So that school actually rejected me. <laughs> 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 so they, uh, they, uh, they didn't think I had what it took to be creative in this world. And I kind of wanted to create um, a fashion line for things that um, inspire our culture. Um, So uh, that was my initial kind of field I wanted to get into, but I'm like, you know, I never had the support of it. I never saw anyone doing it among my friend. I didn't know even anyone who even attempted to go through that track. Okay. So kind of just, you know, my dreams are shattered down. Then I'm like, let me just go through finance and just live life. You know, and just settle. <laughs> <laughs> so. Live life on the skateboard. Yeah, exactly. 
So now, where did the fashion component come from? Was this something that you just had had in you for many years going back to Saudi Arabia? Or was it really when you hit the L.A. scene, you really got enamored with fashion? Because I know L.A. is just a there's a lot of that there. Yeah, I think I was always interested in fashion, even when I was in Saudi. Um, You know, my parents used to always go to London and, you know, London's like almost the second capital fashion city of the world. So. You know, I was always inspired of creating something really unique, and I felt like it was an easy entrance into getting there. Yeah. You know, I used to grow up watching the fashion runway and that type of stuff. Like those were those things were extremely cool for me yeah. to to watch. So I really wanted to get into um, just creating awesome like outfits and really? you know for for men. Yeah. So you would watch these runway shows because sometimes those outfits are wow. Like they're just some of the, the the designs and what they, the the designers bring to the table are really out there in terms of the styles right were you drawn to just the creative nature of that or were you thinking you'd like to create a line that was a little bit more practical no i was definitely a lot more practical than anything else especially for men because i was uh, i always struggled finding you know jeans that fit perfectly especially for you know heavy uh, power lifters it's just you know now all of a sudden in the last fi- last five years people uh, you know started to create jeans that are stretched four-way stretch and like yeah. being able to squat like back then i had that idea but it just i never was able to find the right people to help me put it together so you know, it was more of creating something that i had a problem with right and i knew a lot of people had the same problem um so i was never satisfied with anything that i that i purchased because everything would 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 shrink yeah, that, that's just the problem with the cotton nowadays, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of clothes shrink. And, and you make a good point about, uh, you know, clothing that is functional and really designed and catered towards people that are in specific niches, right? Like like CrossFit to the point where you're working out. And, you know, it's just, just different body types, right? Different movements. So you have always had this creativity in you. Yeah, I always wanted to do something different than everyone else. I always wanted to do something unique, so be the first of anything to to create um and i wasn't scared to do it i just never had the right resources or the right mentality and people around me to to see that can happen yeah. but once i see someone that's able to do it uh that's where uh, my drive starts to kick in and I, I start to chase that person down i like that i like that where does this creativity come from did, did your parents foster an environment creativity or somebody in the family or was it just you were a, sort of a lone wolf out there no, I think it's the opposite. I think it's just the, the frustration of lack of creativity. I think it can go two ways. I think you can grow up being in a very creative household or you can grow up in being with zero creativity. And once you discover that you can be creative, you, your mind just starts to blow up. Um, and I think the latter is actually more beneficial because it's just there's so much things that's trapped in there. And all of a sudden, when once you see like you know, the tunnel, like you're, yeah. you're you, you want to explode. You catch on fire. Exactly. <laughs> You've been repressed. You, yeah. Now you're ready to just go after there, go out there and get it. Exactly. So bring us forward a little bit. So you are working in the financial industry. Uh, you pursue something around fashion, you get rejected. Uh, you're back in the finance world. And then at some point, it's my understanding, you get into real estate. Very brief time. Uh, I wanted to get into commercial real estate um did a few positions here and there with some hollywood companies but uh it just wasn't for me um like uh, i'm not a math type of person numbers type of person so um it it just didn't feel like i can actually grow so as soon as i landed the position i automatically just just left it i was like this this isn't for me you just knew yeah just right away 
Just your intuition told you that this is not for me. Exactly. Next. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about that next. Is it a pretty clear path from that point? You take a trip and then discover what you really want to do and what you're currently doing today? Yeah, I mean, I'd rather, even though I kind of knew I wasn't going to like it, I wanted to see why I wouldn't like it. Uh, so I wanted to give myself an excuse and a reason to leave. Okay. Um, and just automatically, just the type of people that was involved in it, it was very kind of, you know, nine to five, after five, you go out and drink, and then you go back home. It's kind of like that type of mentality. Yeah, rinse and repeat, right? Exactly. So it wasn't it wasn't really for me. I wanted something uh, much more challenging. I wanted something that kept me up late at night and something I can work with people nonstop run around the clock. And I think the only thing... The only position that allows you to do this is entrepreneurship because you can hire people <laughs> yes. all around the world and work for you around the clock nonstop. So, so your goal is not to sleep. My goal is to make money while I sleep. Okay, I like that. As, Develop that passive income. Exactly. But of course, you're trying to feed your soul, right? It sounds like you're somebody that really enjoys what you do, and you want to when you when you find that thing, you want to just pour your attention into and explore and create and build and just keep stacking. Yeah, I mean, just focusing on that one thing and putting all your energy towards it and really exhausting every type of resource until you reach to a point of failure. Yeah. I think that's where I like, uh, in the position I like to be in. Like, I, I intentionally like to fail, and I, and I know that I'm going to fail, but that's what, that gets me closer to the success. Yes. So um, even like uh, starting the, the business Desert Farms, there were so many rejections where I thought this is definitely not going to work out. Um, everyone thought I was crazy. I even pitched it to the university and, you know, all my students started laughing about it. So it, w it wasn't like the best or the funnest experience, but I knew that if you, if you cook it well and you package it and brand it, um, and we can, we can talk more about the marketing aspect of it. You can make anything into really cool and hip. Absolutely. And I want to definitely move into that subject right now, but before we do, I want to talk about how you arrived there. So it's my understanding that you actually took a trip to Saudi Arabia. And on that trip, you had experienced um, the camel milk uh, out of a plastic bag. Is, do I have that correct? Yeah. Tell us about this story, how this how this sort of came to be and what happened next. Yeah, it was just one summer visiting back a family member. And I was approached by a friend that uh, you know offered me a bag of, uh, of camel's milk. And, uh, you know, I, I, I initially requested to drink raw milk. And I couldn't find it any place in in um, in Saudi. Okay. Um, because I was a huge raw milk fan in, in, in California. Raw what is raw milk for our listeners? Raw milk is basically milk that hasn't been pasteurized or homogenized, so um, it retains all the nutritional properties of basically like the the properties that's found in colostrum, which is you know high levels of lactoferrin, immunoglobulins, cytokines, like all these um, immune boosting properties are are, are kept intact. Okay. So uh, raw milk is actually the most beneficial superfood in the world, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's the first food we humans consume when as we're born. As infants. As we're born, yeah. So um, it tells you a lot about it. <clears throat> and uh, uh, so I was a huge fan of milk just in general, but I knew the industry gave it such a bad rap just because of all the hormones injected in the cows and the farming practices. And just it was just a super greedy industry that was backed by um just a lot of people that wanted to take a small slice off of it mm -hmm. uh but if you really find a really good source that's that's all organic natural doesn't have any pesticides or um or hormones in it it, it can actually extremely be beneficial i mean i drink about a gallon every two days 
of raw milk. Does this explain your elite CrossFit? I don't uh, know. Probably, <laughs> probably not. For our listeners out there, this guy right here at CrossFit is uh, a savage. I'll tell you, it, it, it'll put you to sleep. Is really, that right? You'll yeah. sleep well. You sleep really well. So you were looking for raw milk. You couldn't find it. And then somebody approached you with uh, the camel's milk. Yeah, and he said, this is the only option. And I'm like, what is it? He's like, it's, it's camel's milk. I'm like, okay, cool. So I gave it a try and um, fell in love with it. And What did uh, it taste like? I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, I don't, I don't drink at all, but it's my friends that tried it. They say it's, it's, it's kind of like tasting wine. Like it depends on the farm and the winery okay. and the taste of it. So like every farm is going to taste a little bit different, but it, it's going to be very similar to, you know, like an, like a skimmed version of cow's milk. Um, so maybe a little, is bit it a little bit thinner? It's very thinner. It's much wider as well. Oh, so like okay. milk is because like non-fat milk, right? Is really it's almost like watery. Yeah, it's it's watered down for sure, um, and you can't like taste the fat in it. So uh, with camel's milk, like it's 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 extremely fatty, um, but it feels really light. Like you don't like it doesn't you don't feel that protein aftertaste in your mouth, just okay. like lingering in there. So it's pretty light. It's pretty light. It's pretty yeah. light in the palate. Now, did you drink this warm or cold? It was very warm. Yeah. Okay, because you know what comes to my mind. The milk was a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was yeah. it Will Ferrell. He was drinking the milk yeah. outside after he lost his job. Uh, so you drink it warm. Um, is there, do you normally drink milk or raw milk warm? Is there a difference between warm and, and cold? I mean, if it's right on the source, which which uh, which is how I received it, and then you can drink it warm. Obviously, it's room temperature coming out of the udder. But if it's being transported here and there, you definitely want it to be chilled. Okay. Um, but in my case, it was it was absolutely very warm. It was actually hot because it was a hot day. Okay. Um, so it didn't taste that bad. I mean, you could definitely feel the palate a lot better because anything that's if it's too cold, you just it's gonna just taste like water. Exactly. You know. Uh, so the taste was was really good. I mean, that's what um, that's what caught my attention. And then I'm like, I wonder if this is available in the U.S. That's the first thought that came out of my head. So you went from taste to. Is this available in the U.S.? Exactly. And so this is prior to you thinking, what are the nutritional benefits? Because, and I bring this up because in your mind, you were looking for raw milk and you were very familiar with all the nutritional benefits of that. But you immediately went to taste because you thought, man, this tastes actually pretty good. Consumers might like this. Yeah, because with every packaged food, I think number one thing is taste. And I think if it, if it tastes good, like you can probably market things the other way around, even right. though it doesn't sound too palatable. Um, so I was more concerned about how does it taste before it's, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, nutritional benefits yeah. uh, as a marketer, uh, because you can always like, you can always do research and, and like find ways to where it's extremely beneficial to, you to find some people. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but if for, it tastes bad and then you'd have that, and then you have the fact that it's camel's milk, it's like two things you have to convince them. Exactly. On, right? But if it tastes good, Hey, exactly. <laughs> we can get past the camel's milk. Yeah. So you go off on this journey to create this. You get back to California at some point, right? Yeah, I just stayed there for like a f uh, few weeks, probably two weeks maximum. I go back. I was still in school, I think probably my final year. And this was on your mind, camel's milk, that yeah. experience you had. So when you touch down back in L.A., do you just go off on this little nighttime project, just, you know, searching, exploring, trying to figure out what this is and what to do with it? You know, not right away. I was still kind of interested in, in searching just the raw milk in general because raw milk is very controversial in the U.S. Um, it's uh, a lot of people are, are against it and you can't and you can't buy raw milk outside of state lines. Is it illegal? 
It's illegal, yeah. What? So you only you can only buy raw camel or like raw milk in in any state within this state. Like you can't transport it between states. So lines. alcohol is legal yeah. and raw milk is illegal. That's that's a problem with marijuana is legal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had no idea raw milk was such a thing. Yeah, it's huge. It's illegal. Yeah, it's illegal. What's so bad about it? Uh, is it like the did they lace it with oxycontin? I mean, what's the problem here? The question is the question is 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 what is it that they're hiding from us? Wow. That's the question that I have. So somebody's keeping it under wraps. It's definitely something's going on because it's very difficult even for a farm to be proved raw milk. And I get the fact that, oh, there could be some pathogens involved in it. But when it's when you have raw milk, uh, it actually has very beneficial bacteria that that ferment itself to turn into kefir. Mm -hmm. So you have like it turns into butter milk versus if pasteurized, if if pasteurized milk got bad and you, and you kept it outside, it's just going to stink. With raw milk, it doesn't it doesn't do that. Really? Yeah. I had one experience where um, some milk spilled in the car in the mat. Oh my gosh, that was bad. <laughs> that was bad, especially in the summer. Yeah, <laughs> that is, you pretty much need a new car at that point. Exactly. <laughs> so the raw milk won't do that. Um, I don't know if in the car maybe it might well just because of the heat. But in terms of like if if you left both of them side by side outside, you'll you'll have a better chance successfully drinking the raw milk over the pasteurized wow. for sure. So you go off, you, you do this research, you, you realize hey, it's, it's hard to get this raw milk. Uh, maybe there's something in camel's milk. Uh, what, what happens next? I mean, at some point, you put your company together, Desert Farms. How does that come to be? Yes, I think uh, what happened was, um, you know, I was still in school and I took an entrepreneurship class and we were required to come up with a business and then a business plan. And then every year the USC does like entrepreneur of the year and that type of stuff. So, you right. know, I entered, I, I entered into that that's where I started to pitch my uh, my ID and all that stuff. And it was so unique that I won Entrepreneur of the Year at USC. You did? Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thanks. What and was the feedback during that? You know, it was kind of like, um, you know, because everyone, I think it's just it's just the, the pool of my class was mediocre in my opinion. Like everyone was coming up with like very similar. Basic stuff. Basic stuff. Um, and one, mine was the one that like stood out. So like when I pitched it to people, people around school would know me as a camel guy. <laughs> and it's just stuck on people's head. You know, that's Did you ever have I, a nickname? No, no, I never had a nickname. Yeah, imagine no. if your name was Joe. Yeah, right. Maybe Joe the Camel. You would take yeah. out the cigarette guy. That was actually the hardest part of marketing because I, I always wanted to have like a camel on my on my logo or like a, just a really fun camel. But it's people associate that with cigarettes and right? especially our products being associated with kids and children. It was a very difficult decision. So you had to make it as as modern as possible. Isn't it fascinating that from the in the, from the world of branding and marketing, that perspective, how powerful logos and, and scents and symbols and all that is? I mean, to the point, like you said, right, the camel was, was hijacked by Joe the Camel. Exactly. Like we could not even use like anything, even 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 the camel cigarette. That's just like a standing camel behind a pyramid or in front of a pyramid. <laughs> like we can't even use that. How do you think the camels like, feel about this? <laughs> Where's the camel union on this? Stuff? Yeah, I don't know what's, what's the deal with that. So like we were, it was so hard for us to come up with something, you know, very clever. Something unique, right? Something unique, yeah. What was on your mind? Now, did you start with Desert Farms in mind as a name or were you thinking something else? Because sometimes there's multiple iterations that businesses go through. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was the only name that I thought about right away, but the domain was so expensive that I couldn't afford it. So I was figuring out other domains like Desert Valley or Desert Love or Desert Camels. Like yeah. it was, I knew I wanted the word desert in it, but I just didn't, you know, I just couldn't afford the, the domain because it was a premium domain back yeah. then. Um, those so squatters, those domain squatters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
So, um, and I wanted to have like a, um, a name that it doesn't necessarily signify camels or camel's milk because I wanted to um, extend our product line to offer multiple products, right. superfoods from the desert and not just camel's milk. Like I wanted to have to be an umbrella of other superfoods involved in it. So I wanted to be as general as possible. Uh, but then later on, I got some funding and I purchased the domain right away, set up the website and they just took it off from there. Self-funded? It was self-funded, yeah. That's amazing. Well, I got some of the money from USC, obviously. Because uh, of the entrepreneurship yeah, award? Yeah, exactly. What did they award you on that price? I think like 5000 Hey, that's it. It was okay, yeah. Hey, that's it. That's still $5,000 you didn't have, right? Exactly. Now, how does that work? Do they just give you a check or do they give you $100 bills unmarked? I mean, how does this work? Well, they... uh, probably a check after like 60 days. 60 days? And they're going to make sure it clears the yeah. uh, endowment fund? Yeah. It, takes, it took a while. It took a while. Excellent. Okay. So so at this point, uh, you went Entrepreneur of the Year at USC. Uh, you have a company name. You have an idea of how you're going to structure this business, uh, maybe some initial products you're going to offer. But tell us how you actually get the camel milk. Where do you find this? I mean, because uh, do you just scour at Los Angeles looking for camels? I mean, how, where do we find the camels, Wally? Yeah, well, there's there's a camel union for sure. I mean, <laughs> around the U.S., like it's uh, if you know one camel farmer, or one camel owner, everyone knows each other. Yeah. So it was very easy to find them. Um, and you can track them down through like nativity scenes because like most people use camels really? here for nativity. <laughs> so if you go every, is that what you did? You started finding the nativity scenes where yeah, the camels well, were hanging out? Well, I lived in Santa Monica, so every year they have like camels down there. Um, so you went to the nativity scene? I spoke to some of the people and asked them where they get their camels. And then they said, oh, we get it from, from, from this Joe. And this person said that we get it from here. And then I found where the breeding is, which is in Texas, the largest breeder over there. And then from there, I, I found the farmers who were yeah. experimenting with it. So one person led me to the other, uh, but definitely started off from the nativity scene because it's just like, <laughs> you know, wh why would anyone want camels here in the U.S. besides love, for that? You know what I love about that is it's just the simplicity of it, right? Yeah. You know, you you have this idea, you tried the milk, you get back here, you're like, all right, where do I find a camel? Hmm, nativity scene. Yeah. So do you have to wait till the holidays or <laughs> do they do like a summer nativity scene? I mean, how'd that work? No, I w it, was, it was right on time. Um, I was just finishing off my winter break. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it fell, it fell perfectly in plan. And, you know, I took the winter break to just travel around meeting other farmers around the U.S. Okay. Um, so I went to Colorado, Pennsylvania, Missouri, and I found out like most of the, most of the farmers are actually Amish. Yeah. Have the camels. And you, this was a solo trip for you. Oh yeah. So yeah. your, your friends, they, they just, they're out there with their family, they're partying, enjoying the time off from school, but you're focused, you're on the hustle already. Yeah, everyone was like in Cabo or Cancun or doing something like, you know, like a, like a spring break type of uh, uh, vacation. I, I honestly never uh, were involved with any of, the, any of these trips. Like I just wanted to figure myself out. Right. For me, like traveling alone was something like I've never uh, experienced. Okay. And especially for the sake of creativity and like uh, figuring out how to, how to create and solve a problem. Yeah. What did um, you think about what did you how did you feel about the process when you started traveling by yourself? You know, it was hard. I mean, it felt lonely a couple of times, but it definitely helped me, you know, listen, listen to myself properly and, and, and kind of like figuring things out. Um, it was, I, I mean, there was, a, there was definitely like a lot of challenges along, along the way. I def definitely wasn't prepared for the trip, like from not even bringing my driver's license to rent a car <laughs> to like just weird, weird things happening. Little things, right? Little, Little things. Little details. Just, yeah, exactly. Um, but, but I did you know, that, that struggle and that loneliness definitely helped me like really push and drive because I was like, I, I need to get out of this 
place. Like I need to get myself moving and rolling and, um, you know, I just force myself to be uncomfortable in a lot of situations. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's in those moments where we're most uncomfortable where we grow. Exactly. Right. Uh, I can certainly relate being young and, uh, being in very uncomfortable States when I'm as in early on in tech and just, you know, like an email server's down and the internet's not a big thing. It's like, where, how am I going to solve this thing? Right. Those late nights, it just forces creativity. Right. Exactly. So you make this solo trip. Um, you, you're searching for camels. You, you, you come across the Amish folks. Uh, they have camel farms. What happens next? I mean, you just walk up and say, hello, my name is, and I'd like to, uh, get to learn, learn more about your camel operation here. It was, it was much harder than that. Well, I had a little bit of advantage cause like they thought I was Amish. So cause really? I had a beard and like, you know, I was light skin and that yeah. type of stuff. So they're talking, you're one of us. Yeah. So they were, they were talking <laughs> to me in like, um, German Dutch. Um, and I was like, uh, just wave, <laughs> <laughs> just wave and smile. <laughs> yeah. And then I told him, no, I'm, I'm here to, you know, to buy some of your milk and, and, and work our business. I saw um, one of your camels in a nativity scene in Santa Monica. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you start to ask them about the camels and, and figure out how to do business with them. Yeah. I mean, the thing is it's, it was a little bit difficult because, um, you know, working with the Amish, you know, lack of internet, lack of understanding of technology. Um, so it was a little bit difficult to kind of like explain to them how to scale. Cause they just, I mean, they're very simple people. They yeah. just want to, how know, do you communicate with them from LA? Well, there's, there's different, you, I do found you do the pigeons and notes and the no, pigeons. And no, <laughs> no. Well, some of them was, was they had a community phone, but then we, 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 we cut that person off, um, completely cause it wasn't, it wasn't feasible. But what we did, like when we first started, we worked with a bunch of different farmers. Okay. Um, but then we consolidated into into one major one, which is uh, which which is still Amish, but he's an Amish Mennonite, okay. which means he's like a little bit more, um, like he uses technology for a little business. savvy. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, it's not like your typical horse buggy type of Amish. Like he actually has a car. He has AC in his house. So that type of stuff. Oh, wow. uh, he's the progressive. He's progressive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, we, you know, he was still kind of unsure working with us because they don't necessarily work with people like outside their community. So I had to like really prove myself. He just thought I was going to be just a tire kicker that's going to come in and go out and just like mess around. But as soon as we, you know, I started marketing the product, I put it online and built the website, made amazing packaging and, and just every, like every, packaged everything really good. And then as soon as orders started to come in from like advertising, and he couldn't fulfill the orders within like the first two weeks. Really? So, so that was how you proved yourself that you had a, a viable business model to this gentleman. Yeah, he he. I mean, I remember back in like 2015 or something like that. He only had like four milking camels. Now he's got over like 30 milking and total of like 500. Is this because of your relationship with him? Yeah, that is outstanding. Yeah, so he. Definitely so you guys are probably like best friends now. Uh, yeah, we're best friends. I mean, he's, he's like 60, <laughs> 60 years old. And that's okay. So. You can be best friends with the yeah. six-year-olds too. <laughs> so, I mean, but you, you earned that gentleman's respect. Yeah. I mean, he definitely, I mean, we're definitely the main source of his income for him and his family and oh. for his farm. So we've, um, you know, we definitely stay in touch a lot of the times and like, you know. How do um, you communicate with him today? Uh, just on the phone. He's got oh. a mobile phone, so. He has iPhone? No, no, no. He's <laughs> in a pocket. You the know, old flip, Motorola Razor? The flip ones, yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Baby steps. Exactly. <laughs> so so you build this relationship, and uh, it's my understanding that, you know, with the camels, but you're bottling it there. Yeah, so everything everything is bottled on farm. 
Um, we just buy the milk. We have the contract with the farmers. They bottle it, package it, and then ship it directly to the consumer. So did you take all your product uh, label packaging and ship it there? Exactly. Did you build a little fulfillment operation at the farm? Yeah. And that was an agreement that you worked out with them? Yeah. So we just uh, worked, it, worked it within the price. Um, obviously, we paid for the shipping and all that stuff. Um, but as soon as an order comes in, automatically gets you know, um, sent to uh, the farmhouse. The labels get printed out automatically, and then they just start fulfilling. That is so, fantastic. Yeah. What a unique experience as a young man, young entrepreneur, to, you know, travel the country by yourself without a driver's license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually arrive at a farm where you meet this gentleman. Now, was that one of the first farms that you encountered? Were there others like him? Because that just seems like it was all meant to be for you. Literally, uh, you you know, you, you roll into fall, you find the camel, you start doing your research, you, you travel, you find the farm, you find the right guy, you find the right setup, and you build this relationship. It seems like it was just meant to be. Were there some challenges in that process? I mean, did you go through multiple farms and find yeah, some we, people that were not Yeah, it was like a, a, a total of like a week trip worth of driving. So I think I started off in... In Ohio, then then drove up to Pennsylvania, and then um, is that where they're all hanging out? Pennsylvania, all, right? Yeah, Pennsylvania is like most of them. And then drove back to, to Missouri, and then back up to Colorado. So it's a full like road trip. Wow! Did you document it with photos and different things? Yeah, a lot of photos, um, and a lot of the photos I took that that's on my website currently. So um, it was just pure, you know. Um, Guerrilla marketing, just just me and, and myself and my iPhone and just taking pictures and um, interviewing farmers and asking them, like, what do they need uh, to make this happen? But there's definitely was a lot of challenges. I mean, some people some people just didn't have the right setup. Uh, some people some of the farmers didn't have uh, the right cleanliness. Um, it was just hard to work with. Um, so there were, there were definitely like, you know, out of, out of all the eight of them, you know, we, we narrowed it, narrowed it down to one. So it takes time to like, to find your right supplier. So how does the agreement work? I mean, with the Amish community, is it literally old school handshake or is it a little bit more advanced with contracts and agreements? And, and I'm just kind of curious because in a, in, in with most you're dealing with agreements and, and formalities, but that's a different type of community is, do you run into some of those old world things or? Yeah, it was mostly when we first started, it was like a handshake, just basic understanding. I mean, they're very extremely religious people, so they're not going to stab you behind your back and sell someone else. So we, we, we knew we could trust them. Uh, but then as we, as, we, uh, as we started to scale and grow, investors wanted us to make it secure to show other investors that, hey, like, you know, we don't play these games. Like, a handshake doesn't do anything for us <laughs> these days. Put in writing, then come back to us. Exactly. So um, it was, it was up until, like, in the next two, three years when we actually went back to them and said, hey, like, we need you. We need a... A sign signature that you can supply it to us. Okay. So you go off, you build the business, you're moving product, you have a website. Now, did you primarily market and sell online? Yeah, that's the first thing I started. Zero, zero experience in online marketing. You know, I knew I wanted to have a website, but I, I kind of had an eye for design and, and creativity. And um, like, um, I basically worked with one graphic designer and, and I just worked the whole the whole process directing it. Yeah, it's that creative side in you. Yeah, yeah. So I knew, like, I, I knew what I wanted. I just didn't know how to put it into the digital content of it. So I needed someone that knew how to use like all these Illustrator and Photoshop applications and just like work with them. I so I literally sat down with my graphic designer uh, for hours, just like building it out, and then worked with a team from India to put the website in. Um, so definitely a lot of like late night involved in it. 
And I like that experience because it taught me a lot about, you know, how to build something from scratch. Right. Um, and it taught me how to work with people internationally um, and give give orders. You yeah, know, because be able to delegate certain things exactly. that you need. Yeah, because a lot of the people, like, um, a lot of the times it was just, there's so much, like, back and forth involved in it that was so frustrating, especially when your English isn't very good. So you had to make it as concise as possible. Right. So it definitely taught me how to, um, you know, really give instructions that are clear, very little fluff involved in it. Yeah. So you put this team together, you put the product together, you start selling product and you're you're doing so in a market that's you're developing this market because there wasn't really anybody in that space. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there were some farmers like selling just direct, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like an online marketing company or they didn't really have the technology aspect behind it. Um, So we were the first people to actually start to market it um, professionally all around the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. So and did you find that people just had an appetite for like they were just blindly, let me order this, let me try this out? So there was, people already had, um, people already knew that there was research around camel's milk. Like before we even started, there was a community that, that knew about the benefits of it for, you know, for, for, for gut issues and that type of stuff. So well, we just had to find the right demographic and niche and, and target them. Mm-hmm. For the um, prebiotic, probiotic Exactly, aspect. yeah. So uh, we already had like a like a somewhat of a following, um, and it's just it was just a matter of like what's the cheapest way to reach out to the customers. That's wonderful, and it's great that you you built a digital presence and then you expanded from there. So bring us forward to today. Where are you at with the business? Uh, how long have you been into the business now? Now about like three years. Um, we've raised some investment. We're we're closing another round. Uh, we're doing like a crowdfunding campaign. Is we, that open to anybody in the public? Uh, it will be open to anybody public probably in the next few weeks. Okay. So it's we're still building building out the campaign. Okay. But yeah, if you go to Desert Farms um, on our website, there'll, there'll be a link where you can invest um, in as little as like a hundred dollars um, and just own a small piece of the company. That's awesome. Yeah. So we're gonna try that and, and utilize our um, our customers. We have about like eighty thousand customers that order from us. We've shipped over 30,000 orders total. Uh, so, I mean, we're definitely we're, we're definitely growing, but our main focus right now as a company, over the last three years, we've, we've, we've researched who our customer base and what they actually want and figured out that most of the people are using camel's milk as an alternative to human breast milk. Interesting. Yeah, and so... So uh, safe for babies. Exactly. So what we wanted to do was create the first ever infant formula made from camel's milk and replicated replicated around the micro-nutritional profile of human breast milk. Okay. So we've uh, worked with a lot of scientific consultants that worked with like the Honest Company and Infamil and Similac and poached them and helped us to put together like a, um, a good database where we can um, identify some of the nutritional deficiencies of each child based on the health of the mother and the way the baby was born. And those are usually two factors that affect the nutritional deficiencies. So if a baby was born through uh, C-section, preterm, or vaginal, they might not have the same nutrients as other babies. So uh, most infant formulas on the market are um, like, um, you know, one size fits fits all. They don't address the deficiencies a lot of these parents have. Based on the birth. Based on the birth and the health of the mother. So if you have like HIV or if you have something that's transferable to the child, the child's gonna be affected by it as well. Mm-hmm. And that's what nobody takes into account. And um, you know, me as an entrepreneur, and I, and I look at what trends are coming in, I see two things, you know, millennial parenting is, is, is absolutely growing. 
um, uh, parents, you know, uh, our age are always looking for the best and they want nothing but the best for their children right. and willing to spend a lot of money. And also personalized medicine and personalized nutrition is definitely growing. So we wanted to make sure it's, it's personalized for each baby. And if you look at the packaging right now, as soon as a mom orders from our website or orders a product, it actually prints it on the on the packaging um, just to give it that personal touch that this is nice. for them, you know. So this is the the next disruption that we're creating, and this is where we think our company is going to be focused on is going to be more in the baby infant formula space because uh, we haven't seen anyone disrupt this market. So you still have, you know, hundred year old brands playing this in this game that really haven't done anything. They haven't innovated exactly. And, and what's your long term plan? Are you planning just to grow the company on your own with uh, bringing in investor money, or are you looking to maybe sell this to somebody else, like the Honest Company down the road, or whoever that might be? Um, so I think I think if you always have the mindset that you want to sell the company, it, it actually puts your puts your company in a, in a better position overall in terms of quality. Because if your company is sellable, it means you have a lot of the processes in place. Um, so I don't really know what's going to happen, but I am positioning the company to be able to sell it. Because when it, when a company is sellable, it means it means for me as a founder and CEO, I can step back and let it work on its own, and I can bring anyone in to fulfill a process while you focus on, yeah exactly. while you focus on your crossfit workouts exactly <laughs> I, I like exactly that. Yeah. so i have a few more questions as we wrap this up the, and these are random questions i'd like to ask every guest the first one is what is your favorite book and why uh that's a hard one and, uh, and it could be a business related book too if you want i mean I, i'm sure you're an avid reader being a student that you are yeah that's that's a really tough one um Best in what sense? Either <laughs> uh, something you enjoy growth. reading or uh, personal growth. I mean, it could be anything. I mean, what book comes to mind? I think the one why? thing that really like stuck with me is, is a book called The One Thing. Um, and it's basically about just focusing on the one thing that you'll be really good at and don't get distracted by anything else. So it gives a lot of really real life examples. And I thought that book really helped me focus in, on, on this brand because I wanted to do everything in just dilute myself completely but then i figured just let us be one thing that we're good at and 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 that's going to be us we're going to be giving the best nutrition for babies i and like that it. next question if you could only travel to one more country in the world where would it be and why one more country just one more in the world uh and just stay there yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you could come back. You're, you're welcome back in California, of course. You're, okay. <laughs> you're on our team. <laughs> uh, probably be Jerusalem. Yeah? Yeah. It's a city. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Next question. What is the last random act of kindness you perform towards another individual and how to make you feel? Um, I think the biggest act of kindness is just giving someone, uh, giving someone time um, and just like just your full time attention, and I usually do that occasionally with a lot of a lot of people, a lot of friends that I um, have lost in touch with. Um, so that's something I really like doing because a, a lot of the time they're just going through a lot of struggles that you've gone through, and it's and it's they just need someone to vent out to, and and so I think um, the best thing is uh, for me to give back in kindness is, is is just to sincerely ask them like how they're doing and. Uh, I'm trying to help them out. That's awesome. I, and I couldn't agree more with you. Time is uh, the most precious thing we can give to anybody. Yeah. And my last question is, where can people find you online? They can find me, like, personally. They can find me on Instagram. 
you know, forward slash Walid Abdul Wahab, or if they are interested in the product, they can go to desertfarms.com um, and they can try the products for themselves. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Walid. It's a pleasure knowing you, and it's just so cool to hear your story and uh, the fact that you've just gone, you've taken this creative energy inside of you, you've applied to something positive and something that's disruptive and new to the market. And at the same time, it's not that you're just creating a product, but you're actually cre- you're involved in a product that is actually very beneficial to people um, in their development as young babies and just adults like ourselves. Thank so you. congratulations. Thanks a lot. I had a lot of fun as well.